Changing healthcare starts with a dream. Better care, smarter care, and healthier people. Listen weekly as Dr. Gregory Goodman interviews today's most innovative MDs as they transform healthcare and share their journey from white coat to business suit, highlighting lessons learned and golden prescriptions for your success. Join us today and get your doctor-recommended dose of MD Innovation. So this is Dr. Greg Goodman from The Modern MD. I've got Dr. Jordan Schlain, who's a practicing primary care doctor who questions everything. Jordan is the founder and chairman of HealthLoop, a cloud-based platform that automates follow-up care, keeping doctors, patients, and caregivers connected between visits with clinical information that's insightful, actionable, and engaging. Jordan, welcome to The Modern MD. It's an honor to have you on the show. Thank you very much for having me. So I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about you personally and your journey as a physician entrepreneur. It started with a very interesting accidental confluence of, actually not accidental, but a confluence of factors that kind of informed the trajectory of my life, which was in 1997 when I finished my training here in San Francisco in internal medicine. The Federal Trade Commission was investigating the local uh, independent physicians association called Brown and Toland and basically claimed that they were looking like a monopoly. They had too many covered lives and therefore they could not allow any new doctors to join their group. And given that San Francisco at the time was 80% managed care, if you weren't in Brown and Toland, you couldn't be a doctor in town. There was not enough business, so to speak, insurance contracts to get. So I wound up working, taking a job with this older doctor who was ready to retire and Upon his our negotiation, he, he said, look, son, you're going to work hard. You're going to make less than your colleagues. I'm gonna, you're going to cover for me all the time. But at the end of the year, I'm going to retire and you will have this practice. And he had one of the brown and Toland like medallions, if you will. And so I said, great, I'll work hard. I'll make little and then I'll have my own practice and kind of be the master of my own destiny. And this was in the day when small private practices were still possible. After the year of working hard and making little and doing all that stuff, it, it turns out that uh, he was so thrilled with getting so much coverage and I, I guess making additional money that he asked me if we would extend this agreement by three to four years, at which time a few explicatives came out of my mouth and I quit. Pretty pissed off that I had just been burned pretty hard. And I was walking home that day trying to figure out when it was noon what I was going to do with my life, having spent the last 12 years in school and in libraries and studying to be a doctor and now getting screwed by this older guy. And I walked by a hotel on the way home that I always walked by and it had five stars on the side of it. It was the Mandarin Oriental and I walked in and walked up to the head concierge there and I said, excuse me, who's who's the doctor for this hotel? I mean, well, one of your guests gets sick. Who do you call? And she looked at me and she said, who are you? And I said, well, well I could be the next doctor for this hotel. Somewhat joking, but, you know, trying to keep it light. Uh, I had nothing <laughs> nothing to lose. And she said to me, doctor, with all due respect, this is a five-star hotel and everything we do is five-star. And she said, I may be one or two-star smart, but everything we do here is five-star with respect to process and customer service. She said, medicine, she goes, you may be five-star smart, but medicine is barely a one-star service industry. So if you want to learn, so if you want to be the doctor for this hotel, you have to be five star service. And and that was like this life altering moment. I, I said, teach me. <laughs> I've got nothing else to do. Teach me what five star service looks like. And I underwent kind of a semi formal training with her. You know, not that it was through the end of the hotel, but but she kind of taught me a little bit. And the next thing you know, I was taking care of these dignitaries and and movie stars and whatnot from 
the Mandarin Oriental Hotel and subsequently learned, realized that there was a huge gulf between what the hospitality industry does when it thinks about their guests and what the hospital industry does when it thinks about their patients. And hospital and hospitality are separated by three little letters called ITI, hospital, ITI, hospitality. And and so I took this, this ethos of how do you bring five-star hospitality to medicine? Because when people are sick, what they really want is to be taken care of in a five-star kind of a way. And medicine historically has always been built around how do we make the system work for doctors? And it's only, you know, in the last 10 years where we framed it as how do we make the system work for patients? So that, that was kind of the beginning of my trajectory. And, and I've subsequently, and, and Health Loop was born out of how do you digitally enable a five-star experience for patients while decreasing the burden of, you know, routine processes in a doctor's office? You know, if you can unburden a doctor from the mundane and improve the patient experience as they go through their illness, kind of a win-win. That's really uh, an incredible story, Jordan. And as much as it might have been pretty painful at the time with that physician you're working on, I think, you know, that experience probably changed your entire trajectory. And I know the kind of work that, that Health Loop is doing, and I think you've had a really big impact. So that's really exciting. We love to start the show off with a success quote. I know you're an out-of-the-box out of thinker and, you know, a really creative guy, but do you have a quote that you live by that is important to you? It's funny. I have many. I'll, I'll rattle off a couple of them, and, and maybe you can choose which one makes sense. But, you know, John Muir, who was the famous explorer of America and who discovered Muir Woods out here in San Francisco area, you know, he said that when you tug on a single thing in nature, you realize it's connected to everything else. I often think as a physician, even as a father, everything you do has implications far beyond what you can see or you can even wrap your head around. And so if you take the time to think about everything you do and to think about how that may impact other things and really try to put yourself on both sides of the equation, meaning if you tug on something, then something's being tugged on. And so try to imagine what it feels like to tug and be tugged at the same time. When I sit with patients and I'm talking to them about cancer or whatever it is that we need to be discussing, I try to simultaneously put myself in their shoes while I'm talking to them. Like, how would I respond to what I'm saying? So it's, it's really like kind of getting meta to yourself, like a chess player thinking two or three moves down the road and how that may impact things. And I think, in, and most people in healthcare really look at A goes to B, and then they don't see how B goes to C goes to D, that then influences A again. People just live in their worlds, and it's really hard to get beyond what you do every day to understand what the implications of that are and how that ripples through the um, world. The other quote is from Voltaire, who said, the art of medicine is to keep your patient in a good mood while nature takes its course. And that, to me, speaks to, I mean, humanity and, and listening and really kind of wrapping your head around what your patients are going through. And oftentimes, the human body is really good at at navigating healing itself, and oftentimes in medicine, we try to intervene more than advocate. So when someone complains, we do something versus we advocate maybe for not doing anything, and let's just wait. You know, most patients come into the office, doctor, don't just do something, stand there. I've got this pain. I've got this anxiety about this. And oftentimes, the better the better way to think about it is don't just do something, stand there. Like, let's just wait a minute. Let's not rush to doing something because oftentimes the harm of doing something outweighs the benefit of not doing something and carefully observing it over time. And then the last quote, 
which is my new favorite one. It's from a book uh, that I just read called Ignorance by Michael Firestein, which is it's hard to find a black cat in a dark room, especially when there is no cat. And that speaks to, you know, we have to push beyond what we know and look for answers and solutions and ideas in places that we you know, are, are very hard to find. But if you don't look, you're, you're never going to find them. You're never going to go beyond your own expertise into your area of ignorance. You know, we, we know far less about the world than we know about the world. And getting comfortable with, with the fact that we know a lot less than we know gives you a little bit of permission to go explore that unknown, which one could call ignorance. And at least in the field of medicine, I go to first principles, which are if the patient experience and the patient outcomes are the only thing that matter, or outside of like my physician satisfaction doing my job, you know, the atomic unit of healthcare is the doctor and the patient, then I really need to question everything that has been put in place before me. And I need to go look for that black cat and see if I can find it. And I I might not, and I might, but if I don't go look for it, I won't learn anything. And I'll just kind of be status quo stuck. Three incredible quotes. Loved each one of them. I encourage our listeners to go back and, and listen to those. I, I, I think those are really powerful you know, words and, and your explanation was incredible. I'd love to, to shift to what I'm terming white coat to business suit. And I know uh, you practice and, and value the relationships you have with your patients, but also think broader than that on a systems level. And yeah, I know you touched on it, but I just want to hear a little bit more about your vision with Health Loop and how you started it, and, and maybe some lessons learned during your course. The way that Health Loop was started, like most of my life, someone accidental kind of stumbled onto something, was a patient who was in my office who had fever, chills, cough, shortness of breath. It was clear that it was pneumonia. I gave her antibiotics and my cell phone number and told her that, look, the truth is, is that pneumonia is very treatable, especially if it's community-acquired with antibiotics. But she was 70, and I said, but sometimes things can go pretty bad with pneumonias and, you know, the outcomes can be very significant from a morbidity and a mortality standpoint. So I wanted to make sure she had my phone number in case she was, in case she started to deteriorate. And uh, seven days later, the, the phone rang and it wasn't her. It was the emergency room and she was being sent to the intensive care unit and being put on a, a ventilator and she almost didn't make it. And I thought to myself, wow, why didn't she call me? I, I made it frictionless. I made it ridiculously easy. And then my aha moment was, wait a minute. Maybe I should have called her. Maybe I should have checked in on her because the paradigm of medicine has always been no news is good news. But in the world where we think about data, news is data. And, and if you told any data scientist that no, that no data was good data, they would laugh at you. And so no news is not good news. No news is actually no news. And in point of fact, good news is good news. And bad news is bad news. So, but if, but you can't know what good news or bad news is unless you have some news coming back at you. So at that moment, I decided that I was going to look at the, you know, the, the existing uh, medical paradigm is we have an ICD-9 code, which determines the diagnosis of a patient, and then a CPT code, which determines how long we spent, how complex it was, and it's what the treatment was, right? And so the entire healthcare system is built and built on what's the diagnosis, what's the treatment, you know, what's the CPT code or the treatment. And then off the patient goes with their diagnosis code and their treatment code, and I get paid for those two codes, and they go off into the world with that treatment plan. And the truth is, I looked at that and said, that's a flawed system designed around a cash register mentality of a fee-for-service world. And I said, what I care about as a doctor is, 
the patient in front of me, how concerned am I about them that something bad could happen? And so I recalibrated this whole paradigm to, I'm really concerned, I'm kind of concerned, I'm not that concerned. And if I was really concerned, I opened up a spreadsheet one day on Excel, and I called, if, and I, if I put you in, I'm really concerned, I put you in category one, and I would call you every day and ask you if you were the same, if you were better, or if you were worse. And because with pneumonia, if somebody says same, 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 well, as a physician, you better see it better in there because they're about to fall off a cliff. Patients, on the other hand, if you have pneumonia or if you've got some illness or if you've got something that's decreasing the, the capability for you to function in the world, you may not be thinking clearly. If you're not thinking clearly, you may not know when to reach out to the doctor, which is why a lot of people don't. So, so I was proactively reaching out to people on the phone, and I'd ask them, are you the same, better, worse? And depending on how they answered that, if they were on a tra- trajectory of better, I would move them to I'm less concerned, and I would call them every other day. And then if they were better, I'd put them on every third day, and I eventually I'd take them off the spreadsheet. And, and so I had this big spreadsheet that was kind of crazy, and it was, it was kind of like a bad experiment at the time. And, one of my, and then I went on vacation, and one of my fellow doctors said, hey, can you, can you man this spreadsheet for me? And they looked at me, and they said, dude, I have no idea how this works. So, and I was kind of fortuitously, one of my patients had just sold his software company to AOL, and I was explaining to him this. He said, dude, Bill, turn that into software. You, know, you don't need to be calling people. This should be done by email. And that's when I hired a developer in 2007, 2008, and just spent a year doing Skype meetings at night after I put my kids to bed trying to design a product that would proactively, asynchronously reach out to people and ask them one question. And then how they answered those questions would then feed back to me. And every morning I'd wake up and I could see how all my people were doing in real time. So a lot of the world of medicine talks about predictive analytics or claims-based big data. And claims-based big data tells you what happened. And predictive analytics tells you what could happen. I'm interested in knowing what's happening because that's when you can intervene and course correct in something that looks like it's wobbling. So I don't want to guess what could happen. I mean, I'd like to know that these people are higher risk, but then I want to know exactly how they're doing on a day-to-day basis. So so anyway, so I turned it into software, showed it to some of my friends, a urologist called Paul Turek. He's like, I love this. Can I use this for vasectomies and, and uh, prostate surgeries? So I'm like, yeah, sure. And I gave it to a gynecologist and an orthopedic surgeon. And they all thought, well, it was just a very novel concept at the time. And then I was asked to present uh, or co-author a white paper called Reinventing Primary Care Using Technology for a a group in Washington, D.C. And after I presented my findings on some preliminary data, a gentleman came up to me and said, that's a company that you need to start. And I said, man, I'm a doctor. I can't start a software company. He goes, yes, you're, you're going to do it. I'm going to give you some money, and we're going to, I'm going to help you do it. And that was the beginning of the journey. So I kind of say I accidentally started a software company, and, and this whole process is innovation by irritation because there's really no, you know, patient portals and, and EMRs, you know, they were built by people who have no clue what medicine is, which are they're basically databases. I call them databases because data just waits there. But they're databases and cash registers. And they've never intended to solve the function of, of data flow, workflow, a, patient, a doctor's life in any meaningful way. It's, it's always been a better way to document. And studies are coming out all over the place now that physicians are unhappy with these big, kludgy, you know, databases, and they don't provide better outcomes. So it was uh, sounded good on paper, but nobody actually talked to doctors and patients about the, the utility of design of these things. And so now we just, you know, we, we got what we got, and it sucked. So health kind of is like this really honors the physician's life and how they clinically practice, and it also honors and respects the patient's journey through their own illness or disease or surgery or whatever, and it gives them a guided tour. So 
so, so the tool now is far more sophisticated. Now, now we're like, we are an authoring tool that enables physicians to kind of take out of their brain all the stuff that they know, specifically pattern recognition, and codify that. And to put a, a fine point on that, I, I like to describe what Health Loop is is it's almost like going down to Hollywood when people when a when you see a movie on in the big screen, there was a script that was written for that, and it was carefully edited, and they had to find the right actors, and the actors had to say the right line, and and there was various props and acts and scenes. They all occur in the right sequence in order for it to be a good movie. I mean, imagine if you she rearranged the sequence of the scenes in a movie, it'd be a bad movie. And when you're going through your illness, you're the main actor in your healthcare movie and you don't have a script. And the physician is the director, ostensibly, of your movie. And there's a huge supporting cast who you kind of may or may not know that are going to be involved in the movie. And, you know, you, as the protagonist of your healthcare movie, you want the movie to have a great outcome. And physicians want the movie to have a good outcome. So Health Loop basically now authors, it creates an authoring tool for physicians and their staff and all sorts of stakeholders to say, hey, this is what I want to know and when, and this is what I want the patient to know and when. And then you, you know, the physician just kind of presses play on the on the movie, so to speak, and then they can step back. And this health loop will, is the feedback loop, you know, between visits. And it will check in with patients regularly to, to feed them information at the right time because we know where they are in the movie. It will it will provide them the right lines from the physician, the nurse, the scheduler, whoever. It will also ask them multiple choice questions to get their lines from the movie to make sure that they're tracking to saying the right things. And if something looks like it's wobbling out there, then it's like that's time for a real conversation to figure out why. Was the you know, is there a complication? Did you miss your appointment with something? And then you can kind of, you get real high definition insight into the process of all your patients without having to lift a finger, right? It happens automatically. And, and that's, you know, one of the, the real values of health. But the other thing that we're able to do now is when patients, you know, say, wow, this is great. We say, well, why don't you tell these online rating sites that you thought your physician was great? And we use a modified net promoter score throughout a loop. And now physicians are getting all these five-star reviews because patients now have a mechanism with one or two clicks to say, this this is great. This doctor is really taking care of me. They, they're including me. They're valuing me in the process of my own care. They're making it easy. And now these physicians who typically heretofore haven't cared about reputation, I mean, we kind of have in Yelp and, and whatnot, they're generally skewed to bad reputations. People want to brag about the food they ate, but they don't really want to brag about their doctor. It's not... It's not like part of, I think, the general human operating system to do that. But now we've given voice to happy patients to to talk about that. And now physicians are seeing their online reviews go way up. And and the good news is, or not the good news, but the future is, that's how people are going to start looking for hospitals and doctors. I mean, the world of transparency of big data is coming. And the world of, of people looking online to get insight into medical practices and, and, and outcomes and satisfaction scores, that's coming. So we're giving a little bit of – so we're creating a lot of information for the physician to benchmark themselves about how they're doing compared to others within their practice or within their region. But also, we, you know, we give the ability for patients to give them a shout-out. Wow, I absolutely love what you're doing at Health Loop. I've, I've followed you guys and, you know, your work. And, and I think the, the movie platform that you're creating and helping to identify – you know, the best doctors as the patients are able to interact, you know, share that I think is so important. So I really love the work you're doing and incredible, Jordan. I, I think you're a true visionary in healthcare. So thanks for sharing that. I'd like to start or finish up with our last section called not our typical hospital rounds. So these are business rounds. I'm going to ask you a few personal questions and then some questions around healthcare trends. So the first question that I'd like to ask is, 
What is the best life advice you've ever received? The best life advice I've ever received is when I was at my UC Berkeley graduation party, a woman asked me if I was I had applied to medical school yet. And I said, I, I've been, yeah, I did. And she said, you shouldn't go to medical school right away. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, I graduated with honors in anatomy and physiology, and I'm, I'm ready to go all in. She said, you should take some time off, and you should see the world, and you should do something else. I'm like, like what? And she, she kind of put me in touch with a Harvard program called World Teach. And I, I've always anti-teaching a little bit. And so, you know, I applied to this program, and shortly thereafter, I got accepted to teach high school chemistry, physics, and biology in Western Kenya, in the middle of nowhere, with no electricity, no running water, no vehicles. I had to take an eight-week immersion in Swahili so I could teach chemistry, physics, and biology in Swahili, of all things. And that was a, you know, incredibly eye-opening experience to appreciate that other people live in completely different ways that are different than me and the world that I'm used to. But because it's different, it's not wrong and it's not bad. It's just different. And you get real insight into, I got real insight into humanity and, and how people work through the situations that, or their environment that they're presented with. So I, I tell people, you know, get out of your zone and go live somewhere else for a little bit and, and understand a different culture. If you're open-minded, it will make you a better person. That's awesome. What an incredible experience. I'm actually originally from South Africa. So I have a passion and affinity for Africa and have done some work out in Ethiopia. And I think those types of experiences definitely change your life and, and change your perspective. One of the things that I know you have a busy practice, you, you do health loop. You know, one of the things that I found with, with a lot of people like yourself is they have daily success habits or something that they do on a daily basis that they might attribute to part of their success. Do you have a success habit that you'd like to share or something that you, you do on a daily basis that you think is uh, important to share with our audience? Uh, I would say there's two things that I do on a daily basis is I try to learn two things every day that I'll keep with me forever. I really try to, you know, I, I read a lot of journals. I read a lot of trends. I read a lot of stuff, but I, I really try to like take two pieces of information that you take with you and then that becomes resident in how you think about everything else. And so today, the, the two things that I've learned so far this morning is one is that, that Ebola can find its way into the tissues of the eye. So ocular fluids can transmit Ebola. Interesting. And the other thing is that we're screening people far under what we should be in the United States. So the CDC and the government came out with a report today that all the colorectal screening and mammogram screening, all these things are, are less than what we should be doing. And why is that? So, so these are like questions for me, like, why, why are we not screening enough? I mean, if we did, lots of people would make a lot of money, ostensibly, but it's just an interesting tidbit. So I, I try to learn two things a day before I get to work. <laughs> like, so I wake up in the morning, I do lots of reading. I've got four kids. I've got to get them to school, do breakfast with my wife, all that stuff. But I, I really try to, like, dig into two things. The other thing I do is at 6 o'clock every day, I have a little email or a calendar reminder that says, what did you fail at today? And I really try to spend five minutes to reflect on my day to think, what did I not do that I would consider a failure? Or something, you know, it doesn't need to be a big failure. Sometimes it can be, I, you know, I was too short with my children and I, or it can be, I, I distracted myself in a meeting where I should have been focused. But I really try to reflect on, I like spend five minutes at six o'clock every day and look back on my day. I'll look at my calendar and I'll just try to like, what did I fail at? That's another thing that I do. That's really awesome. And, and I think it's great to just pull two things every day because we read so much and, and learn so much. It's hard to kind of boil it down and actually carry, you know, what you're learning and, I'm actually going to try out the uh, 
what did I fail at? I think that's really unique and really cool. The last piece, this is shifting more back towards healthcare. Would you share some trends that you're following? I know you're doing a lot of work at Health Loop, but maybe even beyond that, what do you think is some of the most exciting and interesting or important work going on in healthcare that, that people should be following? Well, you know, I think that historically the, the, the biggest kind of pain in people's neck has been access. It takes me three weeks to get in, you know, and you got to go to the ER. And so, uh, you know, obviously this telemedicine trend with video consults and minute clinics. And, and so, like, the, everyone's tackling the access problem, okay? So access is interesting, but it's part of, it's only like part, of, it's like the first mile. It's not the last mile, so to speak. So I'm watching all of that. I'm watching a lot of this genetic stuff, and I keep a really close eye on all that. I still think we're far away from having that be truly meaningful outside of if you have a disease, you can do genetic markers to find out which medicine to take. I think that's really cool. But I think for the average American to get their genome sequence provides a lot more anxiety than it does relief in terms of what that data means. So, I, so I'm, that's an interesting trend. That's just like this precision medicine and personalized medicine. But that's that's coming. You know, the other interesting trend is there's been this whole brouhaha with the uh, medical, oh, I forget what it's called, but, the, but when doctors get boarded and... You know, there's all this corrosion and politics going on there. And I think that the way doctors get trained needs to fundamentally shift. I mean, everyone's got an iPhone and Dr. Google and access to information. And yes, it's important to memorize things. But I think that there's a conversation happening amongst the medical school community and the medical education community that's starting to shift a little bit. So I think that's interesting from a future standpoint. That's long in the future, of course. You know, and then there's the wearables and the sensors and stuff. And I think that... That's great. I think there's a lot of information that can be turned into, can be applied to certain conditions that can, you know, help give insight. I'm kind of interested in that whole the wearable. I think the the artificial intelligence and the algorithms of the world. I think a lot of people that are, you know, diehard AI guys and and, and augmenting information people. That's interesting too. I think that will play a role. I, you know, I, I like to say that humans can't scale and algorithms can't have empathy. So, you know, there'll always be a place for, for the healing arts. When someone's suffering and dying, they don't want an algorithm. They, they want another human. Humans have always needed humans. That's why if you take a baby away from their mother, they, they become depressed and, and, and they have a shitty life if they don't have a parent. And so people need people. And, and I just think that with all the technology out there, we can't, we can never take our eye off that ball. I mean, imagine if you woke up and I said, you can never talk to another person, you can only talk to computers. That'd be a pretty boring life. And while there's a great role for all this stuff in healthcare, I think that there'll always be a role, you know, for, for the healing arts. And, and I think that the fundamental kind of summary or the, of all of the things I'm saying is that we're moving from a world of intervention to advocacy because patients are becoming more empowered and, and given more access to transparency, physicians are, are, are going to have to become the, the knowledge experts of, of, of all of this stuff. And ultimately, we're going to have to advocate for our patients in the future more than we're going to have to be intervening and keep doing blood tests and doing surgery. I mean, all of that stuff is still going to need to happen, but that's always been the full-throat paradigm, do something. And now it's going to be, let's think about this and let's try to orchestrate a real plan that maps to not just what's the matter with you, but what matters to you. And if you put together what's the matter with you and what matters to you, you can leverage all the things that were just described and put together a plan that makes sense for that person. That's really exciting. And, and I think healthcare is a, at a super exciting time. And, and it is important to you know constantly always put that patient in the center and think about how we can uh, make an impact for them. So Dr. Jordan Schlain, an absolute honor and privilege to have you on the Modern MD. 
You're a true visionary. Healthcare needs more of you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for joining me today on The Modern MD. Head to themodernmd.com to get links and recaps of every show and so much more. Dose up and like The Modern MD Facebook page.